Hello and welcome to E by Gore, the horror movie franchise review podcast with me, Tris. And I'm Damien. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great start, isn't it? That's a great You know what? I woke up this morning with a new tattoo on my wrist. It's not been there my entire life, but it's just appeared. And it's made me really? start wanting, yeah, it's made me start wanting to kill people. It's really weird you say that because I ended up with one on my wrist as well, left or right. We're wanking at we right one, sorry, I mean. Again, strange you say that because it's my wanking hand as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. I feel like I've been cursed in some way. So yeah, I've I got this mark on my hand that's a cult of something or another. Do you know what? I, I'm getting the word thorn. Yeah, I think that's right. And the weird thing is, you know what? It's just never appeared in my life before, but it's almost as if somebody just threw it together at the last second, which leads us nicely onto Halloween 6, the curse of Michael Myers <laughs> and the curse of Eli Gore, by the sounds of it. So thanks for coming back, guys. We're on episode 6, 6 in the Halloween franchise. Don't forget to give us a like, give us a subscribe, go and tickle that little bell down in the corner. Let us know what you think in the comments. You can get us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts from. Also on YouTube, facebook.com forward slash ebygore, at ebygore anything on all the other social media bollocks. And that's us, really. Who are you? How are you? What you guys been up to? Tell us. We'll yeah, wait. exactly. Share with us what you've actually been watching, what you've seen recently. Tell us what you think of our, our franchise that we're dealing with at the moment. So, Demo, Halloween 6 pretty much halfway through the franchise now tell us what is your history with this movie again <laughs> very little i watched it about five or six years ago when i was tracking down all the halloween movies before i had my beautiful blu-ray box set which i don't have in my possession at the moment so i borrowed it to my father need to hurry up and get those watch dad i need it back my italian box set but yeah watched this one about five or six years ago didn't realise there was a producer's cut, because normally these things are called director's cut, but I think this was so shit, and the studio interfered so much that they had to announce <laughs> it as the producer's cut. A little bit like Alien 3, which has got, I think, the producer's assembly, or the assembly cut, or something like that. So I found out there was a producer's cut, and it wasn't until I got this Blu-ray box set, which I bang on about so much, that I watched that, which was only about six months ago or something like that, maybe even sooner, And coming on the back of the fifth one, I had really high hopes for it because of how much I enjoyed the fifth one. For all its stupidity and ridiculous characters, the kills were great. And I thought it was very, very watchable. So I had high hopes going into Halloween 6. But oh my fucking God, dude. Oh my God, this movie. I don't even know if I want to go into it. It's like you read my mind. I've seen some shit in my time, mate. But I don't know if i ever seen shit like this before. If I had to give an analogy for this movie, and bearing in mind, I have only actually watched the original movie. I haven't seen the director's cut, producer's cut, whatever. Mm-hmm. You may as well just watch Punch and Judy. For those people that aren't in the UK and know what this Punch and Judy thing is, basically a puppet, whack some things, throw some sausages around, whack a few other things, job done. Pretty much sums up this movie. It's very convoluted. Like I said, guys, we're going to talk about Halloween 6 now, The Curse of Michael Myers. And I will talk about the producer's cut towards the end. We'll go over it. I know it's only me that's watched that out of the two of us. We're not going to go blow by blow, as I say, every week. 
it'd be fucking difficult to in this one because it's so convoluted and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense again we do spoilers go and watch this i don't know where it's streaming i think you can rent it for the low price of three pound fifty on amazon if you four quid four quid on amazon Robin four pounds four english hurt. pounds of my hard-earned money it's stunk it's stunk. and do you know what mate the only reason and the only thing that actually makes it better for me is that after I watched this, I was kind of like, what the hell did I just watch? But took some comfort in knowing you fucking watched it twice, not just once. <laughs> you watched it once, realized it was shit. And so you thought, oh, I wonder if that director's cuts any better. <laughs> and that's longer than the original. You watched it twice with extras. That's a good point. You've, only got, you've only got yourself to blame. I watch shit so you don't have to. And this <laughs> this is shit. I mean, let, you know, spoilers for this movie. This is this is a lump of shit. There's no other way to describe this movie. This is dragging the bottom of the barrel. This is as low as the, this franchise can ever go. If you're still yeah, with us, don't, don't switch off now. Wait for the craziness. It's going to happen. Yeah. I'm going to lose my shit pretty soon. Well, let's talk about it because I feel like we might have similar opinions on this, but... The first thing I'm going to talk about is the disrespect shown to Jamie Lloyd as a character. She's been the central point of the trilogy so far. And now I don't rate the trilogy massively, but Jamie Lloyd, played by Daniel Harris in the first, in the last two, has been great. She's done really well with the material afforded to her, and we've grown to care about the character, mainly because other than Loomis, she's been the only character worth caring about. Yeah. At the end of Halloween 5, we saw the man in black break into the prison, kill everyone. And what we can take away from this is it broke Michael out of prison and immediately kidnapped Jamie Lloyd as well. Now, we zoom back into her life years later. She's grown. She's, I mean, it's meant to be, what, six years, six, seven years later. It's meant to be six. It is. That's right. It's meant to be six years. So she was nine years old in the fifth installment. And we are now six years on from this one. So she's essentially 15-year-old. So passage of time. Yeah, she looks 25 easy in this, but... (laughs) You're not not wrong. Yeah. Not that we're questioning the casting or anything like that. I don't think she's great, to be fair. JC Brandy, I think, took over. I mean, no offence to her. She's played bit parts in a lot of stuff, but Daniel Harris did really well as the young Jamie Lloyd in this. So, not just the disrespect in terms of the casting, but what we're to take away from this is she was kidnapped, held prisoner, raped, and then gave birth within this cult environment. Now, you've got to think that through. She was kidnapped at nine, kept prisoner, and then was forced to have a baby for this cult. I know it's horror. I know it's really shit to say there's too much disturbing things in your horror movie. I get that. I love disturbing stuff. But when it comes to kids and insinuations of rape and stuff like that... It's a cross over the line. It is to say that we've got to know this character so well over the past two movies. Yeah, it's, it's a very big leap. And we're not just talking time. We're talking about what's actually happened to her in this time and what's happening now at the age of yeah. 15. Giving birth yeah, to a exactly. child at the age of 15. It's a very, very big leap. And it does push the boundaries of what's acceptable. It does, especially for a film that's not very good like this one. I mean, there's a lot of movies, not so much with kids, but with like, you know, you've got the whole rape revenge subgenre of horror movies like I Spit on Your Grave, Last House on the Left. Mother's Day, where these female characters are violated as a plot device and then come back and 
murder the rapists in very real ways and very it's very satisfying to see that as a conclusion but this really never deals with the central theme that jamie lloyd was kidnapped and raped and then was forced to have his child so she's been kept down here michael is part of the cult of thorn there's a lot of people in robes we deliver this baby that is definitely not a newborn baby <laughs> you be a daddy. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that, that baby is literally like five, six, seven weeks old. Yeah. It is not a new full baby. It's, no, no. If anybody it's out there, and I'm sure there, there, there will be plenty of people, yeah. but there will be plenty of people out there that have obviously witnessed the miracle of birth, either be it as a dad or a mum or whatever. And they're all probably, if they've seen this movie, they will all be looking at this and going, that is not a newborn baby. It's far too well behaved. Just losing my little glowy mask there. I, like I should say, is your, is your alter ego attacking you? Yeah, it really is. Maybe, uh, maybe it doesn't like you impersonating Thornley. Call him Barry. Baz for short. Baz. Good old Baz. Name. Yeah, so <laughs> Jamie manages to escape via the help of a random nurse, which again is pretty weird because you've got to assume this nurse has been there for the entire imprisonment and now all of a sudden he's helping her escape. Um, She's got so, a conscience. She rediscovered it yeah, by some druid power. Yeah, what a load of shit. So Jamie <laughs> escapes. Michael kills her by picking this nurse up and shoving her head onto it. A very conveniently placed rusty nail in the middle of this corridor. <laughs> but, a, but at the same time, a very, very good early kill. Yeah, it is. From a, a bit of a difference from some of the earlier movies, there's not an instant death here. There is a little bit of suffering and you actually, you're left to linger on it for a little bit. Yeah, we talked yeah. a little bit about that in the fifth one, about how they changed the ways that the kills were, were sort of displayed. And that is continued in this one. And I, I do quite like that, a nice early kill. And that lingering death, that suffering, makes you think. Why did Jamie go back to Haddonfield? She was kidnapped from there. She knows that's where Michael goes. She knows that's where the cult is. She's got a van. I know Michael killed the, the van owner at some point. He snaps his neck, doesn't he, during, when she gets into the van. Like, why does she instantly drive back to Haddonfield? She's got the baby. She's got the cards. Fucking get on the freeway and get to a major city somewhere. I know, but, you know, it's like five years have passed. We've not had a tremendous slashing Halloween since then, I'm assuming. know that. Well, she doesn't know that. All I'm saying is I've been kept prisoner for so many years. I was kidnapped in Haddonfield. I developed a psychic <laughs> connection in Haddonfield. My uncle had tried to kill me in Haddonfield. A cult had abducted me in Haddonfield. I wouldn't be driving straight back there. What's she thinking? Jamie, come on. No, you're right there. But th these characters, they make stupid decisions. Believability. It would not happen. True, but Jamie Lloyd has not historically been stupid. No, not at all. So what do you think? What do you think of Jamie Lloyd being killed off so early? I'm going to be honest, it was a bit of a shock because we've had two films of her essentially being final girl. And yeah. the first half of five, she was trekked like an afterthought, as, as we discussed yeah. last time. In this one, she's trekked worse than an afterthought and they fucking ran some shit through her and killing off the heroine right at the start of this movie. And yet again, bang, early death. So this movie focuses on the cult of Thorn. Let's let's go into the cult of Thorn a little bit. I don't even know how to explain them, Tris. I don't know what their motivations <laughs> are. I don't know why they exist. I don't know what their aims are. I know that <laughs> we, we don't really have any any explanation for that either. That there is no explanation for that. They're a druid cult, and they have many people that follow them. For some reason, they are controlling random serial killers. 
But why? They talk about the runes slightly in this one, and Michael needs to kill his family, and anybody who enters Michael's house, Michael considers family. But I don't see where the benefit... I know that the guy, spoiler alert, the guy, the Dr. Wynn, who's Loomis's friend, turns out to be the head honcho of the cult, and he goes into that little speech later on, and he was like, Loomis is like, dog, what the fuck are you doing this for? He's like, <laughs> Michael Myers is pure uncorrupted evil which i think is a bit of a contradiction i mean surely evil is corruption it's corrupted or pure uncorrupted evil like even if he is what the fuck are you getting out of this this whole thing i mean obviously a ruin is a mark uh, of some sort and that explains the weird random tattoos that we have on our right hands look it's not there anymore that's pretty much the only thing that we get any kind of explanation for uh the guy is I guess the head of the sanitarium where Michael grew up, yeah, where he was captured. We we learn a little bit more about potentially why Michael is is like he is. We we see that there is some other power at play here in the way that Michael is, and I don't like the way that that's gone down. We'll talk a little bit about about that later. But... So this movie focuses on a new set of characters: Cara, Cara Strode, and her son Danny, who have gone randomly to... living in the Myers house. With her mum and dad in the Myers house. So the story behind that is apparently Laurie Strode's mum and dad had a brother, which is obviously the dad, John Strode, and they couldn't sell the Myers house. So he let his brother, John, move into the Strode house, into the Myers house, as you do. He's such a dick, though, isn't he? Old Johnny Strode. Bit of a dick, absolutely. A bastard. (laughs) A bastard. Who can say the best Yorkshire bastard? Bastard. Bastard. We could actually do that for like five minutes and people watch that on YouTube. Well, if you're Sean Bean, of course. Sean Bean, yeah. There's a French bastard in here. The two parent characters, they call them John and Deborah. You know, kind of after John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, who, you know, wrote and directed the original Halloween movie. And I'm not sure if that's like a nod of respect because the characters are so fucking stupid and and John's (laughs) a bastard. I don't know if it's like an indirect diss or something like that. But either way, he's a horrible character. And he's like, he obviously hates his daughter for coming back and having this kid. And he's like, you, everything was great until you came back here with that little bastard. Doesn't say bastard, bastard. Half as a Yorkshireman does. But, not at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's such a horrible character. And there's not really any depth gone into like the reasons why he's such a bastard. I mean, in the producer's cut, there is a few other scenes of him looking out the window and insulting his daughter some more. So it doesn't really go into detail. <laughs> It just It's just more scenes of him being a bastard. But also, there's a huge thing made in this movie about John's wife, you know, the son, not knowing that they're living in the Myers house. Yeah, there is. How fucking ridiculous is that? I mean, people are vandalising that property at the beginning with statues of Michael Myers. It's probably the most <laughs> famous house in Haddonfield. How do they not know? Yeah, and every, literally, I'm assuming every Halloween in the five years that we've kind of been missing, people have literally turned out in Michael Myers masks and well, you know, no, because boiler they've suits and they've banned shit Halloween. like that. They've banned Halloween, haven't they? The story was that huge Halloween party that they have later on is the first time Halloween's come back since the last Myers um, oh, too much. There's there. too much footloose in that plot for me. Bit, <laughs> All yeah. we need is Kevin Bacon to sweep in, save the day. <laughs> Job done. That would make a better movie. I'd love to see Myers doing Footloose. 
<laughs> no, there's a skit we can do. <laughs> Stay tuned for that. Stay tuned Stay to the tuned. YouTube channel for that because that is going to happen. Definitely, yeah. Definitely. I'm going to make it happen. That. You can do that. But yeah, so I don't get why it's such a big deal because she she loses a shit, Deborah, the the wife, when Loomis w- randomly wanders into her house and says, to, you know, lets her know about Michael Myers and this used to be her house. What's Ma- what's Loomis doing? Fucking walking straight into somebody's house, by the way, as well. Uh, also, has he given up on Halloween and taken up Christmas? Because he looks <laughs> very much like Santa Claus in this movie. You need to watch your tone talking about. Uh, <laughs> So Donald Pleasance. There's nothing wrong with Santa Claus. Santa Claus yeah. is great. Everybody loves Santa. He's also I love Loomis. I love Santa. There's nothing more than I like to see Santa Claus walking into somebody's house and going six times. And yeah. <laughs> he's also very close to death in this movie. He, he Absolutely during post production. I think going forward, the franchise is is always weaker for not having Donald Pleasance in it. He's the only reason I carried on watching these, other than the podcast. Uh, it's the only reason I had to go back to him is how good he is in these movies. So, you know, RIP. Belatedly, I mean, it was 1995, <laughs> so it's been a while. It's um, been a while, but no, I, I agree with you. I agree yeah. with you. And and I think, he, again, he is a, a great character in this movie. Uh, you he's know, the best. He's, uh, I was just going to say he's sort of, he's retired now in this movie. He's not practicing medicine anymore. And uh, he ever he's, was. He's, distinct, he's distinctly last you know, less crazy. He's more grounded for the most part. He's the character that you've come to love. The he character looks more broken. To... He, he does, yeah. yeah. You know, like, he's, he's, he's living as a bit of a hermit. Yeah, yeah. He's, exactly, he's living yeah. as a hermit. He's, he's retired. He's moved, moved to the outskirts of Haddonfield. Uh-huh. Just in case he comes back, you know, he, he's still on the outskirts. Just on the outskirts. Just on the outside so he can jump back in. Right when he needs to. <laughs> Every uh, time but... I try to get out, they pull me back in. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's definitely looks more of a broken man. He's he's older, he's less crazy, he's more calm, he's retired from medicine, as he, he mentions in the film. Yeah. But he's still one of the shining lights in this movie, and you know, he, he makes it better for him being in there. He's in it way more in the producer's cut. He's in it so much more. Like the problem with this movie is, I find I find there's a massive lack of Donald Pleasance in this. A lack of Loomis. A lack of Loomis in the theatrical cut. In the producer's cut, he's got so many great cheesy lines and really over the top stuff. Not so much the crazy side, but definitely peak Loomis in the producer's cut, which is the reason I give the edge to the producer's cut. I'm not saying it's a better movie, but there's more Donald Pleasance in it, so as a result, it's more entertaining to watch anyway. But he's great in this. He, he kind of, in the theatrical cut, as I remember, because I watched the producer's cut last bit, in the theatrical cut, they're trying to pass the baton to Tommy Doyle, played by a very, very young Paul Rudd. Very young. It, it almost doesn't look like the same guy until he turns to the side, and then you think, hang on a minute, that's Mike from Friends. Mike from, is that where you know Paul Rudd from? Well, that's not the only thing. Oh, he's, fuck me, he's Ant-Man. I know, no, I'm saying he's either thing that you know, like when you think back to certain actors and certain things, like I'm the same as you. If I think of Paul Rudd, I think of Mike from Friends. <laughs> but there's a whole generation of people that won't know him from that and will just know him as Ant-Man. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, for me, yeah, it is always Mike from Friends. I think that's where the first thing I sort of registered Paul Rudd as an actor from. But he's done this whole heap of shit since, uh, you know, Ant-Man. He's great, isn't he? He's, he's great in this he's, as well. 
Yeah, he is. He's pretty good. Um, you know, he's very, very young. And I think, if I remember rightly, this is his first starring film role. Yeah, it's his first starring role. Yeah, I think he was in some shit movie before this. He, yeah, this is his first starring role. And I think he's good. They're, they're trying to pass the baton from, like, going forward, if this film was successful, the idea was to have Paul Rudd take over the mantle of Loomis and be the crazy Michael Hunter going forward. Obviously, the film failed, but you can see with the interplay and the dialogue that Loomis and Paul Rudd have that there's definitely that kind of unhinged aspect to Paul Rudd's character and to Tommy Doyle. Who definitely. Was, I think that's look, that's the anchor as well, isn't it? You know, yeah. the anchor back to the first one that we're reverting back to this character that we saw in the very first movie. Yeah. And we've got that anchor with the whole you know, Strode family, if you like. That is the thing that brings this particular film back to the other ones. I feel like if it have concentrated a little bit more on that and a little bit less on all the other convoluted shit, it would have been a better movie for it. I totally agree. Totally like, agree. Like the kid, Danny, Kara's son. So he is hearing voices. He's obviously living in the Myers house and he's hearing voices from the cult in his head telling him to kill for him. In the theatrical cut, he even goes as far as holding the knife up to his granddad's stomach, don't he, after he's hit his mum. I feel like they're trying, to, they're trying to do with Danny what I wanted them to do with Jamie in, yeah. at the end of Halloween 4. They're trying to bring Danny into the fold and train him up, what I assume to be the next Michael Myers, by telling him to kill for him. He's trying to get Danny to kill the family in the same way Michael did. What did you think about that? I think pretty much the same as you, you said it there. It was what we wanted them to do with Jamie. But I think it would have worked a lot better. I, I'm quite liking looking at you actually trying to drink your brew. It's, it's, a choice of, it's a choice of doing this or wasting a full cup of Yorkshire tea biscuit brew. I'm not willing to do that. <laughs> Just look at that in all its glory. Brilliant. Uh, but yeah, I've got a, ma- a mask with a mouth on it. <laughs> Just going back to the whole, the whole Danny thing. It's like the continuing that psychic connection. Mm-hmm. And I don't like it. No, I mean, I've thought about it. I don't like it. I tried to give it more consideration in this one. But you mentioned that word a few times, convoluted. Yeah. That's this movie all over. None of the stories match up with any substance that make me believe in it. It's just that they're like lots of little subplots all going off that don't actually make anything. Just to jump around the plot a little bit more. I fucking hate the DJ in this movie. <laughs> He's a bit of a dick. I can't remember his name, but I fuck. I'm gonna hang on. I've got my Wikipedia up there. Let me get this fucking cast. What's his I'm, name? Do you know what he? Do you know what he reminded me of? Jake Paul. I don't. What's it? I don't really know. I mean, I know his name. That's, I don't, yeah, it's I've just it's some it's some YouTuber that likes to fight boxers and put I know, league, yeah, I know put him, knockout knockout. Before clauses in his contracts that he can't be knocked out or something i say he reminds me of him he's kind of that character that you just want somebody to absolutely twat and knock out but for some reason you can't the dj's called barry sims in this i think yeah there's that whole scene where he's doing that radio show from the party and he turns to the son's girlfriend and he's like i bet yeah. you wear crotchless panties and bark like a dog it's, <laughs> it's so out of context it's like dude He's clearly stoned or drunk or something. He definitely earns his death. But again, in the theatrical cut, done very stupidly, Myers is in the Myers house killing someone and then transports all the way across to the party 
into the back of a van randomly. Just By tele- teleportation, DJ. beam me up, yeah. Scotty. To kill this DJ, to then transport immediately back to the Myers house to then <laughs> kill the two teens that are fucking in there. In the producer's cut, he's in there because it's actually a cult of thorn van. Like, and the DJ get just randomly gets into the wrong van. So there's a little bit more thought to it, although it's still pretty fucking stupid because he manages to get across and still kill the kids. And there's that little fucking girl that, like, there's the body in the tree and she's like, it's raining red, mommy. How do you get to that <laughs> age and not know what fucking blood is? Like, she's blatantly, like, nine or ten years old. It, it was a bit of a tame one, that one, wasn't where he sort of drops down and he, he's dead. And I want to see more. I want to see more of you trying to drink your brew. The people listening on audio will not see the hilarity of what I am seeing right now. They're missing out. If you are if you are listening on like podcasts, please please look it up on YouTube because it's fucking hilarious seeing him trying to drink a brew through a skeleton mask. It's hilarious. Do you think less of me for drinking the tea through my mask, or would you think less of me for wasting a a fresh cup of biscuit? I don't, but no, but I think he really really should have another go. I'm gonna. There you go. Do it again. Do it again. Right, kids. Don't waste a cup of Yorkshire tea. <laughs> I'm trying not to slip. <laughs> oh, I just look. It's like step up a lip. <laughs> I can't even speak. Oh, that's it. I've, I've lost. I promised I'd lose my shit. That is, I've lost my shit. And he'll spat it out. <laughs> Damien trying to drink through through a mask. And oh, still, that... I do not reveal my true identity. <sighs> oh, just wait till the post edit. That cup of tea will bang you. It, it's the it's the it, it's it's the theatrical gore thing of like lifting the you know the teeth up to get a brew. I know I should put some fake blood underneath next time. Oh, <laughs> Speaking of brews, mine's going cold. And you've not even got a mask on. You'll <sighs> probably get one though. Ugly cunt. <laughs> C-bomb dropped. C-bomb dropped. <laughs> 45 it's not minutes the, or whatever. It's, it's not the first time in this uh, series, shall we say. <laughs> I think um, Thundercunt came out somewhere. Thundercunt's one of my favourite insults <laughs> of all time. Whoever made this movie is a grade A Thundercunt. Let's have a look who it was. <laughs> Director Joe Chappelle. Wikipedia tell me. Who did, who's Joe Chappelle? I've Joe never Chappelle. heard of him. Oh, he directed a lot of episodes of The Wire. I've never seen The Wire. What? No, me neither. It's meant to be it sounds a bit boring. It sounds no. boring. You know what? The thing is with The Wire, it's a bit like Breaking Bad, even though I love Breaking Bad. If somebody's seen The Wire, they will always tell you that they've seen The Wire. It's almost like veganism. Within 15 minutes of meeting them, <laughs> they will talk to you about The Wire. See, I did it myself with Breaking Bad just there. Do you mean talk or do you mean like preach? I know people that preach The Wire to me. I've got a friend who every time I see him, so have you watched The Wire yet? No, dude, fuck off. I don't want to watch The Wire. But he, do, anyway. do they glue themselves to highways and motorways? And Why did it say highways first? Uh, American, That's not yeah. Yorkshire at all. Do they glue themselves to road? Do they glue themselves to A51? A50, A50 <laughs> no. We digress. We digress. He's not done really anything that interesting, including Halloween 6. <laughs> Maybe this was like a training exercise for all the other stuff that came later. Yeah, maybe. This show has gone fucking off the rails, mate. We've we've lost all semblance of structure. There's a reason for that. You can't have any structure when it comes to this movie. It is literally 
a whole heap of shit. And we're just following, we follow that trend. Just following the structure of the movie, aren't we? We're just making this podcast what? really convoluted. I talked more about T than <laughs> Halloween Six. And I don't to be really honest, care. there's not really much to talk about, really, when it comes to Halloween Six. If we're being brutally honest, yeah. I mean, let's talk a bit more about the plot. Paul Rudd, Tommy Doyle. I'm going to call him Paul Rudd because that's that's how I know him as. It, it, it feels better. It feels better. Rolls off the tongue. So he's he's researching Michael Myers. He's got all the clippings. I tell you what, he's, he comes across very. He does weird well, and he does really weird when he suddenly befriends Danny. You know, Karen's yep. kid and ends up in his bedroom and the mother walks back into the room and he's just there, sat with a baby next to her son. I don't I don't know about you, just me, you're a dad. If I walked into my daughter's bedroom and saw a fully grown bloke in there, I don't care if he was sat a million miles, a million miles away from me, he'd be going out the fucking window. <laughs> no, I agree with that. But we're talking, what is it, 1989, this one? Yeah, uh, no, 1995, mate. There's six yeah. years between wow. this and the last one. That's, you're right there. I'm thinking of five. God. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, it, it is a bit weird. And there's a few nods to the original movie there. So, like, when... There is, yeah, you know, definitely. When Tommy first meets Danny and Danny jumps and drops the pumpkin, that's kind of a throwback to when Tommy Doyle in the first one gets bullied by them kids and drops his yeah. pumpkin. But I think the danger of doing clever nods in movies like Halloween 6 is you're constantly reminding people they could be watching better films. I agree with that, yeah. So he gets this baby, which he finds in a bus station, like because of course he does. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, what, that's what you find in Barnsley bus station all the time. What, babies? Just babies. Instead of dropping them off at an orphanage or a hospital, we just drop them down fucking down interchange. Them down deal with that baby in that prom. Well, he finds a baby in there. I mean, I find it hard to believe because there's a baby in a locker in there. I find it hard to believe that nobody's found it so far. Nobody's needed a piss and heard a baby crack. You know, babies cry, they, they shit, they puke, they piss. The Yeah, so it's all, it gets really convoluted. So Paul Rudd meets Loomis. They catch this plan to fight Michael or whatever. Michael goes on the killing spree. He kills the Strode kid. I can't remember what the guy's name is. The guy who's doing the radio show. Kills his girlfriend. Some really good kills. So he slits the guy's throat in the shower, which is a really good kill. And he strangles. Does he strangle the uh, the girlfriend? Uh, he stabs her, doesn't he? That's the point where we see Cara watching from across the road, isn't it? Oh, With the, yeah. the weird old camera. And she's like warning her, somebody behind you. And then obviously she sees the, the whole kill. And while that's happening, she's getting like weird flashbacks every time the stab goes in. She's getting the nods back to the previous yeah. movies. Yeah. And then Paul Rudd's basically said to them to keep Danny and keep yourself out of the Myers house because then Myers will try and kill you because anybody goes into the Myers house, he believes his family and wants to kill him. And then Danny automatically just fucking hears a voice in his head and runs across to the Myers house. And then they can all hear the voice in Danny's head. Kill for me. And then they can all hear, and then they walk into the next room and Dr. Wynn's there with his cult friends. And then Kara just throws herself out the fucking window. That whole thing was a little bit weird because you see sort of like Danny, you see him, he goes in and she follows him and, yeah, of course. She's just seen Michael Myers is in there, you know, massive serial killer in Haddonfield. Everybody knows who he is. I kind of get you going in after your kid and that type of thing, but then she she pulls out this poker 
and she walks up the stairs like holding this poker out in front of her yeah. and it's just it's all a bit cheesy and a little bit tame and a little bit stupid if i'm honest so we get out there with the cult and she throws herself out of a window which would fucking <laughs> yeah, that was just ridiculous it, it um, was literally it came from nothing as well it's like oh people's chasing me ah i'll just throw myself out the window yeah and then you see and her then, there like dead yeah and then it's really badly edited because loomis and paul rudd just run back outside like, <laughs> as if the like where's cara yeah and paul rudd's like i feel like we've been drugged and loomis yeah. is like we have been drugged so, so what the the cult have just let you go like they've just been holding you prisoner it's really clunky it, it's almost like there's a whole section of film that wasn't added in there for the final cut it's not in the producer's cut there's a lot of new footage in the producer's cut but none of it makes that scene any better it's still chopped in the exact same way the only difference is in the producer's cut is they're all dressed in their robes those ceremonial robes because what happens in the producer's cut is they take Kara to this satanic ceremony and then they wanted to sacrifice the baby because essentially the plan in the producer's cut is that Michael has to murder his entire family before he can pass on the cult of Thorn to somebody else, and they want to pass the cult of Thorn on to Danny. The original, yeah. it's about that Michael has to sacrifice his uh, next of kin on yeah. Halloween before he's able to actually pass on the, the baton, if you like. Yeah, exactly. But it makes no sense, because in the producer's cut, they make it very clear, in a disgusting turn, that the baby is Michael's, and that he's the one who's raped Jamie. And that the baby yeah. is his, which makes no sense in the concept of a producer's cut. Because if he has to kill all of his remaining family to pass the curse of Thorn on, why is he then having more children? Because just another the... thing you have to kill. That's what you see in that. I'm I'm just looking and thinking, it's his niece. No, yeah, an incestual plot is never good. No, yeah. So in the go back to the theatrical cut. So in the theatrical cut. They head back to the sanitarium or the hospital, don't they, from the first one they do. where Michael was kept. Paul Rudd finds... You explain it because I watched the producer's cut last night. <laughs> where are we at? I've, I'm literally lost. Rudy finds her and they run back in. They get. They manage to find Danny somehow, in my, is what I recall. And then they walk into this room and they find out that Michael was genetically created to be like super strength and this curse is what's keeping him immortal. Because they've got all this weird luminous green shit that Tommy fucking stabs into Michael's neck, which is really weird. Oh, yeah, the, the syringes things where he literally, yeah. like, jams it in and then he beats the shit out of him with some pipe or... In the original thing, that that is kind of essentially where the main action... You're in this end scene. And yeah, then very he's, getting all, he's getting all these flashbacks, isn't he? And going back to the previous movies, every time he strikes him, he's getting those flashbacks like Danny had earlier on yeah and then just when you think it's over we're all willing him to go fucking hit him again kill, kill him, him, kill yeah, him, kill him till he's dead. dead and then he turns around and hits him one more time and then he walks out it's a massive letdown it's not the final scene because then we go out and they end up in the car and they're on the way to whatever it is that they're doing and loomis is there and he says he needs to stay take care of business yeah and at that point you kind of think something more is coming but in the original movie all you hear are the screams of loomis you see the michael myers mask on the floor as it cuts to it and that is the end of the original so many unanswered questions so much confusion 
as we mentioned earlier, Donald Pleasance did actually sadly pass away during the post-edit of this movie. So kind of felt like there was more to give, but they had to yeah. end it somewhere. I think you have some thoughts on this, Damien, with regards to the producer's cut or whatever it is that they yeah, called so, it, and how they actually changed that. Yeah, so the producer's cut is the original pre-theatrical release cut. They screened it for test audiences who didn't like it. So they tried to do all these reshoots, but during the reshoots, that's when Donald Pleasance passed away. So they had to cobble together what they could for the theatrical release. Being honest, I know they advertise the producer's cut as having like 70 minutes of new unedited footage. It's nowhere near that amount. It's pretty much the same film, but with a different soundtrack. The soundtrack's better in the producer's cut because it's, it's music that was previously composed for older Halloween movies. So it's got a retro audio experience, which is better than what I think the dancier version in the sixth one is, which is very, very 90s, pretty shitty. But where they differ is in the amount of focus given to the Cult of Thorn. Not that it makes it any better, but it just puts a greater emphasis on it. So one of the big differences between the producer's cut and the theatrical version is that Jamie survives much longer. So she drops the baby off. She does the phone call into the DJ to let Loomis know. She bumps into Michael in a barn. He It's a decent suspense scene, but instead of getting thrown onto like that sharp thing, whatever it was, she just gets stabbed. But she survives it, and that's how Loomis knows that she's alive and, and, and learns more about it. She goes to hospital, and then later on in the movie, the Cult of Thorn just shoot her in the head, which is still a bad way for the character to go. And it also begs the question, if the Cult of Thorn is able just to shoot people willy-nilly, why do they need Michael Myers? I don't understand it. But um, Yeah, and then the climax of the movie is completely different in the producer's cut. So instead of Paul Rudd running through the hospital and having that big fight scene at the end, they get these rune rocks or whatever and realise they can cancel out the negative energy, the evil energy. We never address the fact that that would also cancel out the good energy, but fuck that. Anyway, <laughs> and essentially, Michael's just about to get him when Paul Rudd just gets on his knees and does this, shakes these wounds like dice and manages to freeze Michael in place, which is really weird. And then I think he gets knocked to the floor or something. And he puts him in the car like he does in the theatrical cut. They fuck off in the car. But Loomis goes back inside and we see it this time. He pulls off Michael's mask and it's Dr. Wynn. So obviously Michael's escaped and fucking locked winning. And then in a bizarre twist, he grabs Loomis's hand and says, the curse is now yours. Which, again, makes no sense because apparently Michael needed to kill his old family before he could pass the torch on, pass the curse on. But now apparently it works like a game of tag and he just tags Loomis. <laughs> and then we see Loomis do the screams. And it makes a bit more sense with Loomis screaming at the end. And then we see Michael but, dropping but, it, but it's not even Michael passing on the baton, is it? It's win. No, it's fucking win. I don't know how that works. <laughs> And then we see Michael Myers dropping his mask and he becomes the man in black. Um, we don't see his face, but we see a man in black that was Michael Myers walk off. Out of the two, I prefer the producer's cut purely because it's got more Donald Pleasance in it. It doesn't make a bad film better by any stretch of the imagination. It's still a piece of shit. And that's that's pretty much it, really. I mean, I don't think we can talk too much more on no. this. No, not at all. Um, Shall we put a bow on it? Yeah... Okay. So shall shall we? Okay. 
Do you want me to go first? I'll let you go first on this one. Thank you. So this movie's a fucking piece of shit. It's an absolute <laughs> slog. I'm going to say it as I say it as I mean it on this one. I've seen some shit in my time. This movie is well up there with some of the worst that I've seen. The kills are good. Probably saving grace as some of the kills are good. Probably better in the theatrical because they reshot a lot more gore for it. So, like, when they kill John Strode, you know, we electrocute him and stab him at the same time and his head explodes because fuck physics, right? Um, <laughs> in the producer's cut, that doesn't happen. He, he does get stabbed and electrocuted, but he just sort of froths and dies, like, a bit more realistically. But, <laughs> so the kills are good in the theatrical cut, but they're a bit darker, like I say, killing Jamie off and killing a couple of the main characters' kids. It's pretty brutal. So it's got that going for it. But the plot is, is convoluted. We take some pretty big missteps with characters that we've grown to care about through the last three movies. The cult thing, without having a real motivation for what it is, why it's there, what it wants to achieve, it doesn't make any sense. Michael, he becomes redundant to a large extent in this movie. He's just a pawn really being used, which takes away a lot of the lore from the previous movies. And yeah, it's just shit. The producer's cut goes into more detail, but it doesn't make a bad film good. It's just another version of a shit film. I don't see myself returning to this movie anytime in the next five or so years because I'm just fucking <laughs> done with it. So for me, this gets three unexplained cults out of ten. <laughs> so pretty low score for you, really. For me, you pretty much took the words out of my mouth, if I'm being honest. A lot of... <laughs> do you know what I, I would love to explore that a little bit more maybe do a musical version <laughs> but yeah particularly that whole druid cult thing it's taken on a totally different level it's literally like they thought you know throwing some druids throwing some robes did you notice as well by the way there's sort of like the triangle motif the first thing i thought when i saw that was squid game no i've not seen squid game no neither have i but i've just seen social media like red oh, light right, green yeah. light so yeah, maybe, that's what yeah. that's what I thought when I saw like the the whole druid thing. But Michael has been made out for so many movies to be this monster. I buy into that. It is totally evil. It is unharnessed evil. He cannot be controlled. He comes back. You kill him. He comes back. It's just evil. There's nothing about it in this movie. They give it context, and there becomes a reason as to why he's like that. There becomes a reason. There becomes a control factor to it. Mm-hmm. I don't like that because it, it takes away everything that Michael Myers is. This whole slasher character concept now has a reason. He literally becomes a tool. I don't like that. It's pretty tame. Yes, the kills are pretty good. And we get a couple of very quick kills in, in the main version. And I don't know if that's the same in the producer's cut or not. But the kills come pretty quickly. I quite like the exploding John Strode. Totally unrealistic. Like an exploding head. I'm a big fan of an exploding. It's done better in Scanners, though, by David Cronenberg. That's the ultimate exploding head in horror. You'll you'll get. Yeah, to I'm sure I will. But this one, it's very unrealistic. But there's a lot of gore. You know, the whole explosion thing. The kills are definitely better. They follow one from five with better kills than some of the previous ones. But overall, the story is tame. I don't like it overall. It's pretty shit. I am going to give this two and a half exploding heads. Out of 10. So we kind of fall on the same side when it comes to Halloween. I think so. Yeah, yeah. this one. It's um, it's a piece of shit. 
Cool. So that's Halloween Six: The Curse of Michael Myers, and so ends. It could only get better from here. It so ends the Thorn trilogy. So next week we will be looking at Halloween H two O, the seventh movie of the franchise. Does, is this like some nod to water or something? Because I, I again I haven't seen this one, but H two O, water. No. Everybody out there who's Halloween or horror fans, please feel free to comment about what a fucking stupid comment that is from Chris. <laughs> feel yeah, free. This is, basically, instead of Freddy versus Jason, they did Michael Myers versus Jaws, and that's where Halloween H2O comes in. You okay. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I genuinely have no idea if you're joking or not. And I'm also, I'm also trying to work out, is this Jaws the shark or Jaws from Bond? Um, Too many questions, dude. Neither. So H2O <laughs> is Halloween 20. It was released 20 years after the original Halloween. Yeah, he's still not selling it to me. It's the return of Jamie Lee Curtis. That's a bonus, right? Absolutely. We will talk about it more <laughs> next week. Don't forget, guys, check us out on social media, facebook.com forward slash ebigor, Twitter, Insta, or OnlyFans. OnlyFans. I'm determined I'm determined that somebody is going to set up an, an OnlyFans for you. I think at this stage, we should say more about you than me, mate. But um, <laughs> let us know what you think in the comments section. Also, check out some of the other videos we're going to be doing. We're doing some skits. I am currently reviewing the Chucky TV series. Huge Child's Play fan over here. Fucking love me some Chucky. And the TV series has just come out. I'm talking about it and reviewing it episode by episode. Check out that. I think Tris is possibly looking at doing the Scream series at some I point. Am. I am absolutely, I'm just about to start it, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, so check out some of those solo videos, all still under the e or banner. It'll only be YouTube only. We won't be releasing those on audio. But let us know what you think. Check out the stuff. Keep sharing, keep liking. We'll see you soon, guys. <laughs> Take care.